record and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. something gonna happen. <laughs> so do you want to hear an Irish knock knock joke? Um, yeah. You have to start. Um, okay. Knock knock. Who's there? <laughs> <laughs> Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to episode six of the Up Bow Down, Down Low, recorded at the Australian National Academy of Music. I am your host, Luke Carbon. And I am also your host, Kenny Keppel. We both play the clarinet, in case anyone missed that from the previous five episodes. And this week, we are talking about the path less travelled, the concept that you don't have to stick to the preordained um, uh, roads set out for you in your industry, particularly this one of classical music. And uh, we're very uh, honoured this week to be joined by special guests Dougie Boyd. Of uh, the Chamber Orchestra of Europe. That's right, the conductor, uh, oboist then turned conductor. Yes. And uh, also a special friend of both of ours, um, co-founder of the Ensemble Rubik's and Anim alumnus, uh, Tamara Kola. We'll be talking to her in a few minutes. Um, but before that, the path has travelled. Kenny. What do you think about the path less travelled? Well, I mean, for us in this kind of music industry where you kind of go through your university degree and you learn how to play your instrument and then you come to a place like Anam um, and you kind of have this idea that, oh, yeah, like I'm going to practice really hard, practice all my excerpts uh, and then get into an orchestra, have a job for your life and that's what you do. You get paid your, you know, whatever grand a year and... Get a cat. Yeah, that, you that's get, my a, goal. get a cat, buy a house, blah, blah, blah. Um you can, I mean, you can do that. That's totally fine, and a lot of people, a lot of people do that. That's why that's the um, that's the industry, really. the beaten path. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are certain special people who like to explore what's off the beaten path, otherwise known as the path less traveled, and definitely at Anam, I've I found in, in sort of the two years that I've been here that you get exposed to all kinds of different stuff, like. We have the Australian Voices concerts where we do, a, you know, music of a particular Australian composer and often it, it turns out to be quite strange music sometimes, um, but it's very exciting and always a challenge and a thrill to play. And, and then we have, you know, new arrangements of things like Ballet Mechanique, which we did over the last weekend and um, a lot of new music like what we took with um, Elysian Ensemble to Bifim, the Bendigo International Festival of Exploratory Music. There's so many other things out there besides what you normally play in orchestra. There, there's so many more things that can be done and people are interested in it. And I guess we need those trailblazers to, to open those doors, so to speak. That's right. One of whom we should probably talk to now, um, the uh, ex-Anam flute player, Tamara Kola. Um, let's have a chat. It's the minute of mimicry. Um, in the studio with us today, we have a Anam alumnus, Tamara Kola, who plays the flute and very well and in a variety of contexts. Um, for our fresh listeners, a quick reminder, the minute of mimicry is where our guest will play 30 seconds of something and then we will replicate whatever they play on two clarinets at the same time and hilarity ensues. Tamara. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yay, we did it. You guys basically couldn't tell the difference. It sounded exactly like a flute. Definitely. How did we do it? Week after week. Just stone cold consistency. Can I tell you what the little excerpt was? Yeah, if you want. Before it got weird. Oh. It was an excerpt from... Oh, I know I what it is. He knows it because I think he played it earlier this year. Yes, what, I did. What, what was it? It's an excerpt. It's one of the flute solos from The Pied Piper by Richard Mills, Bingo! who was the artistic ah. director of Victorian Opera. That is correct. And I spent all of last weekend playing it in Port Ferry, and I will spend the next five weeks playing it all over Victoria. I was I was supposed to be doing that tour, <laughs> but I couldn't like do it. it. Oh, that's awesome. That's why I put it in there because yeah. I thought you and you did it already. Yes, I knew <laughs> I knew it from somewhere, but like I couldn't figure out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for joining us. So this week we're talking about the Far Travelled and. And we couldn't think of anyone probably who more wholly represented that that title. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and where you're up to? Totally. Um, yeah, I'm obsessed with making up my own road at the moment. Um, so I came through here in 2014 and before that, pretty standard path. Um, I went to a music high school in Sydney and then I went through uh, the VCA uh, just as, as it was merging into Melbourne University. But uh, since Anam, I've sort of – I'm still – I'm still doing a lot of standard stuff, but I'm also trying to experiment a little bit. So, yeah, I am exploring some paths. Um, currently, my life consists of gigs, um, running my own podcast called My Third Ear. Um, Which can be heard on, is it on iTunes? It's on iTunes, yeah. Sweet. So check that out, My Third Ear. My Third Ear, capital M-Y-T-H-I-R-D, capital E-A-R, all one word. We'll, we'll, we'll put the link in there. We'll put the link up. Very fancy. <laughs> Um, so I run my podcast, My Third Year. I, co- I present it and produce it. And I co-run and perform in my ensemble Rubik's, Rubik's Collective. We're a, a new music um, ensemble who you have both played Yeah, we with. have. Mm, Thank yeah. you yes. so much. <laughs> and, um, and then I also teach and bounce, bounce around the place. So what do you consider, like, if, if you have to introduce yourself to an ele- someone in an elevator in 30 seconds, how do you summarise what your activities it sounds completely pretentious, but no, I'm but go on. a musician <laughs> and an interdisciplinary artist. But nice. I have to be honest, that's kind of how I feel these days because I, I feel like most days I go into a different arena and put on a different hat and I love it. That's, that's good. That's great. Yeah, that's, that's my really favourite thing. It's really important to be able to do that. Well, that's my favourite thing. That's what fulfills me as an artist and that's what all of my favourite idols do. So I'm just and, trying and to And follow. who are those idols? Oh, Keep it brief, but keep it brief. Well, if I'm going to be really relevant, last week I got to, I got to play in the Port Ferry um, Spring Music Festival with Meow Meow. Yeah. Who, if no one, if people don't know who Meow Meow is, they should run to the internet right now and Google as it sounds Meow Meow. She's an incredible cabaret performance, and just like I've seen her perform a bunch of times, and to play with her was like up there and one of my favorite gigs I've ever done. Um, absolute versatility. Like if she was in the dictionary, it would be like dot dot. Versatility. She's amazing. Um, who are my other favourite artists? Um, Claire Chase, who was here earlier yeah, cool. in the year. She's just unbelievable. Again, someone who doesn't stick in one box. Flute player and uh, founder of uh, ICE, the yeah, ICE Ensemble. Yeah, Inter- International Contemporary Ensemble. Beautiful. Um, oh, right. Pina Bausch, who was – have you guys heard of Pina Bausch? No. She was that? a really well-known um, choreographer. She started a company in Wuppertal in Germany and she was incredibly unique because every member of her company, she – she got to know them completely personally and she kind of crafted dance around their individual personalities. Right. So she absolutely like, you know, nurtured each person as who they are. It's just what a beautiful way to look mm-hmm. at art. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, the path you're on at the moment, um, do you feel like you've, you've chosen that path? 
Or do you feel like this is a path that's sort of been... You, you sort of like fell into it, yeah. maybe. Do you know, uh, to be honest, I'm super lucky. I've been always surrounded by total versatility. So my father was an architect and I watched him create in that sense since I was a little girl. Um, my mum runs a performing arts school in Sydney. So I've been sitting in ballet concerts and acting performances and name any concert. I've been sitting in it since I was four years old. My brother um, is a choreographer and my other brother is a really successful sound engineer. He's currently working at Head of Sound on Aladdin in Sydney. He's always on something. So I, and then my stepmom is an opera singer and a composer and, a, and I'm just super lucky. And so for me, it wasn't that weird to think I'm going to do my own thing because I've been completely surrounded by that since day one. That's and crazy. That's... To stay in one pathway actually seems kind of, I get restless. Yeah. I need to be branching out. That's how I feel my most natural self. So if you're if you having conversations with um uh, for want of a better term, muggles, as Simone Young would call them, like people from non-musical families or non-artistic families who are like um, studying music but really want to try doing some other things of their own projects. Like what would you say to them? Do what you feel. Like don't worry if it seems stupid or if you really suck at it. If you want to try something, try something. I feel like, you know, I teach a few adult students and I feel like they always say, oh, you know, I'd love to do this. I'd love to be you know a better painter or you know I'd love to or, or parents of students I'd love to be able to play the piano so do it you know my mum's oh how do I put this politely my mother's my mother so she's not as young as me but she recently started piano lessons again which I just think is the most beautiful thing because she was like why not you know she hasn't played since she was 12 and so she just does it and we don't have to be the best. I mean, obviously, when it's your profession, that is different. You need to have a standard. But if you're just doing it for creative output, just have a go. What have you got to lose? Are there any are there any projects or, like, big things that you have in mind that you want to do maybe someday? I mean, I've got so many grand plans, it's not even funny. Like, <laughs> I well, have to give a notepad uh, next, to my, next yeah. to my bed because I can't stop thinking. Um, <laughs> I've got some pretty cool, cool plans with my ensemble Rubik's. I think that's potentially my favorite thing that I do at the moment because it's 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 also the the arena that I feel most creatively buzzed about at the moment because that for me that group is is you know three other people that I feel both creatively inspired and challenged by Mm. and um where we want to take the group you know we have these grand visions and finding the path there is is challenging but also super exciting um Kaylee Melville and I another alum alumnus we both went to um the Darmstadt International New Music Festival in Germany just recently and we had this absolute light bulb moment and this we were in this talk um I don't know if any listeners went to Biffham in Bendigo a few weeks ago but there was this opera by Jennifer Walsh um triple x new girls i think oh, it was called yeah, that's right. live new girls yeah live yeah. new girls that's what triple x live new girls or something like that anyway um jennifer walsh the composer of that opera was giving this talk with composer stephen takasugi at the festival and it was about what they called the new discipline and it was this new sort of look at how to present music and art and like it's moments like that for example kaylee and i have been talking in vague vague terms about our goals and our ambitions and these things that we want to create but we didn't feel like we even had the language or to even really articulately speak about not you know know how to speak about what we were talking about yet like it was completely vague and we went to this talk and we were just both sitting there with like giant eyes and just like nodding our heads and staring at each other for the whole hour and a half, taking furious notes. And for the rest of the festival, I reckon like twice a day, that talk came up in our conversation. It was just suddenly like every light bulb switched on and everything suddenly clicked into place. And I think 
that's the benefit of of having these pathways that maybe are a little different because you push it makes you push yourself into arenas which are a completely scary but also often really rewarding so long long diversion there rubik's i'm super excited about rubik's um we've got some cool stuff in the making for next year and for 2018 and then um another project that i i started uh just before my time, no, just after my time at Anim, actually. Um, it's a solo project I'm working on called Peace in the Shape, where I work with a visual artist and I take a piece of um, music and turn it into a visual piece. So we create like a visual representation of the piece of music. And I've, I've been lucky enough to work with, on two pieces of music with two different artists so far. And I'm working on the third one at the moment with um, Melbourne-based composer Jacob Bragg. I, I think you might have performed one of these at Pan at Red last year. Yes, that was the early stages of the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was very yeah. cool. Yeah, that, that was with Oliver Nussen's flute piece, Masks. Yes, that's right. And um, I developed that with an artist earlier this year and we performed it at a festival in Sydney called Safari Festival. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. So um, I'm really interested in it, at the risk of making this conversation about as four times as long as it needs to be. Like, what is the new discipline? Essentially, it's like looking at outer focuses, like your yoga class this morning and that book you read yesterday and, and all of these outer outer you know, inspirations and just even just things that happen in your daily life and how they channel into your artistic practice and how we can further our artistic practice through acknowledging those outer forces. Mm. That's a really pathetic way of explaining it, but that's the... No, it it makes complete sense. Well, actually, these lectures are all available online and you guys should totally check them out. Super interesting. What was the name of the person again? um, Well, her name's Jennifer Walsh. Yeah. Is the female um, Irish composer and Stephen Takasugi. Um, but on through the Darmstadt International Festival website, you can hear all the lectures from the festival. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, there's also a really great one by Klaus Lang on music um, and notation and love and music. Cool so stuff. Well, Tamara, thank you so much for joining us. Like, yeah, it, 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 it's so good to hear what you're up to and you know <laughs> that you're doing a kick-ass job of it. Yay, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That was Tamara Kohler, Anim alumnus and eccentric flute player (laughs) (laughs) with the minute of mimicry. Um, I thought that was a very interesting talk. Yeah, I I, I like playing and talking with Tamara because she keeps things fresh. Like she's really not afraid to. She kind of and she she kind of really is excited. Like, I, I mean, you guys listening to this couldn't really see the way that she talks about this stuff, but you could probably hear it. She's um, ah, she's into it. She's really into it. She's really into it. Mm-hmm. So, shall we move on to our next interview? Absolutely. So, this next interview is a bit of a windfall for us. Um, Douglas Boyd, Dougie, to his mates, former oboist with the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, spent a little bit of time at Anim and took us through um, one of his favourite symphonies, I think Beethoven Nine. And it was incredible to watch that music just come alive before our eyes. And and the insights he had was it was fantastic. Anyway, we sat down with him and had a chat about his career and how he's taken himself off the beaten path somewhat, even starting with the Chamber Orchestra of Europe. And uh, here's that interview now. All right. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Douglas Boyd, Dougie, dear mates, who are you? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? Um, Well, I was a former oboist. and We're talking musically here, aren't we? Yeah, musically. Yeah. Not existentially, Uh, no. uh, (laughs) Um, I studied at the Royal Academy of Music as a noble player. I helped to found the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, um, where I spent 21 pretty incredible years with 
Claudio Bardo and Nicholas Harnoncourt and Bernard Haitink and da 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 the, the great soloists and conductors um, in the world, which was an amazing learning experience. And then at some point, having always been fascinated by watching conductors, what worked, what didn't work, and a kind of just an itch to do it, I sort of decided rather late in the day that uh, in my 40s that uh, actually, you know, I don't want to get till if I ever do get to 80, 85 and look back and think, you know, I never tried. So I made a con conscious decision to, um, to take up conducting, started very modestly uh, with, you know, I taught oboe at the Royal Academy of Music, I taught at Cambridge University, so I had kind of connections in the student world and connections as, a, as an oboe soloist with some orchestras where I sort of persuaded some people to get um, two for the price of one, really, you know, to do a... a, a concerto in the first half and a symphony in the second half Michael Collins did that um, or does that quite effectively yeah. I think where he'll do like a it's exactly how he started I think. Yeah. it's the same sort of thing you know and I think he also Michael's kind of a, a very interesting kind of shadow of what I've done he's doing almost identically what I did 10-15 years ago sure and uh, and anyway to, to try and cut a long story short to my uh, to my astonishment two things happened I was playing about 80%, conducting 20%, and then it all turned around. I started to get more engaged, and not least because I did a concert with this lovely chamber orchestra, Manchester Camerata, and uh, I had no idea, but they were looking for a music director. And they asked me to become <clears throat> music director, and that's how the whole thing kind of kicked off. And then I put my oboe away in 2002. I did my last uh, chamber orchestra Europe concert in 2002, and it's been in the, under the bed ever since. You haven't played since? No. Never yeah. even touched the instrument. No, I do, you know, I haven't. And I, I, it's funny, I don't miss it, except I miss it when I teach sometimes. You know, for instance, at Anam, I've done the occasional class or when I'm abroad somewhere, somebody who remembers that I might have played the oboe at one point in my life. They say, <laughs> do, you want, do you want to come and would you mind coming and uh, uh, teaching a class, which I love doing. And uh, um, I can still, in theory, it's a bit like riding a bike, isn't it? I mean, in theory, I know how to play the oboe. I just can't actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I miss it. I miss being able to just demonstrate occasionally. You know, yeah. I can't. But otherwise, no, I've, I suppose without being too much of a cliche, I've got, uh, I've got another instrument called the mm. orchestra. Mm. And for me, I think I played at a reasonably high level and I just felt either you're going to play at a really high level or not at all. I didn't want to sort of like be depressed and have to look and make reads and play terribly, you know. So for me, it was better to put it away. When Chamber Orchestra of Europe was founded, you guys founded it from the European yeah. Youth Orchestra, members of the European mm -hmm. Youth Orchestra, and you all just happened to share this ambition to, to create an orchestra well, together? Well, I, no, I think it was, it, was, uh, it was moulded by the experience of being in the Youth Orchestra because it was kind of life-changing, you know. And uh, I mean, what was and that wasn't enough for you, like just just playing in the youth orchestra, like the. the well, there was in I was in European Youth Orchestra for four years, and there was an age limit. Okay. You know? So you even got too geriatric for the for the <laughs> chamber orchestra year. And a group of us felt. I, I think what really happened was that a group of us at that time were we were so overwhelmed by this kind of idealism of the youth orchestra, the passion and the. The feeling that you know your life depended on when you played a concert and friendships, pan-European friendships, friendships with people from all over Europe, you know, that are still lifelong friends. Mm -hmm. And a group of us felt had had already been playing in the profession. Uh, this is like oh my goodness, this is like the end of the seventies, you know, in 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 at that time, and there was quite a lot of orchestral playing that was rather um, 
uh, don't quote me on this. Well, you will quote me on this. But there was quite a lot, there was quite <laughs> a lot of orchestral playing at that time. I think life has changed enormously. It was a bit dead, you know, and and right. uh, and and the feeling of like it's a job, mm. and uh, and coming into uh, European Youth Orchestra felt mm. like a, a life enhancing experience. And we sort of thought, you know, this is what I want music to be like. I want to play music that you 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 you're passionate every day of your life. Not yeah. uh, okay, I've got a rehearsal at ten o'clock in the yeah, morning, yeah. and you know. Yeah. And uh, so it was. It was. It was these two. It was the the the, the small experiences that we had it, from our idealistic point of view in the profession, and it was the amazing idealistic experience that we had within the the youth orchestra that 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 sort of encouraged us to say, why can't we do this all the time, mm. or, or at least pretty often, you yeah. know? And so we talked to Abado, and uh, we talked to an extraordinary man called Peter Redman, who's still the chairman of the orchestra. Was a businessman on his honeymoon in Salzburg. <laughs> Um, we were playing with Carian and the 16-year-old uh, Anne-Sophie Mutter uh, playing Beethoven Violin Concerto. And we nobbled Peter Redman after the concert and talked about this crazy idea of creating a professional orchestra with the same idealism as a youth orchestra. And uh, Claudio Abado agreed to conduct and uh, Peter agreed to be chairman and we did a fundraising concert in London. We raised 25,000 quid, which was at that time an extraordinary amount of money. And we spent that money on a on a on a full time uh, uh, orchestral, uh, you know, manager, you know, a, a, a intendant, what do you call it, chief executive, mm-hmm. and then the whole thing kicked off. We did a European tour with Abado, and the whole thing there was such a buzz about it, um, about the orchestra, um, and the way it played, uh, and we were incredibly lucky. We just thought, yeah, well, we're going to do this, you know. But actually, when you look back, it was kind of miraculous. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing because that was going to be my question. Like, you have when you have an ambition and a passion and and this idealism of of playing with mm. that passion every day of your playing life yeah. it doesn't just happen like there are certain channels that you that no you, you have to be go. quite practical but, you know we couldn't have done it without the financial backing because yeah. we we're we're no state funding and we we're never going to get any state funding and who would you even go to because you're talking about 12 different nationalities yeah so i mean so, after after that after that fundraising concert you would have I mean, you would have. Where, where did the where did the, well? Where well, did the I mean, there were certain practical things that had to happen, or else the whole thing wouldn't have got off the ground. One was that Peter, the the chairman, had wonderful contacts within the business world, and we had Claudio Bado, who had amazing contacts within the musical world, mm. and that was like gold dust. Mm. And then Claudio said, you know, let's do a tour, let's do a European tour, and at that time he could just open doors, you know. So <laughs> suddenly we had the possibility of doing a, 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 and we're talking about a European tour at the Philharmonie and. Uh, in uh, um, you know the Alta Alta Opera in Frankfurt, and you know going to the Franz Liszt Halle in uh, in uh, in Budapest. So it was like proper tour, you know, yeah. really proper tour. Barbican, I think it, we went to as well. So there were certain things in place that were really fortunate. The other thing that was in place that was kind of just luck was you're probably too young to remember this, but um, it, it, beginning of the eighties was when CDs came in. And uh, uh, what's if, a CD? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> CDs were you know, bizarrely was like the brave new world. You know, mm. it was like oh my, you know, this extraordinary mm. new technology, and it meant that everything potentially could be recorded again off vinyl and onto CD. Yep. They didn't put stuff on vinyl onto CD because they didn't think at that time. And now, now I, I know everybody's sort of back into buying vinyl, but the feeling was that it wasn't the same quality. So everything had to be recorded again. So we also had, with these connections, 
we were recording almost every tour. You know, we were recording with wow. Deutsche Grammophon all the time. We never stopped recording. Mm. It, it latched onto tours. So we were we were really lucky in many ways, you mm. know. But we didn't play all the time. The whole point was as well that it would be like, I know, five, six months of the year, you know, spread out so that you, every time you come there, it's an event. Because I think it is difficult to, to, to keep 100% passion every single day of your life. Yeah, yeah. I suppose that's what you're... Uh, sort of alluding to with uh, some of the artistry being dead in certain parts of the world at certain periods. Uh, at Annam the other day, you mentioned the idea of um, from Arnhem Court that great musical moments are this close away from being a total catastrophe, and that's yeah. where the real magic comes from, which I guess is hard to do if you're trying to do it yeah, 100% all the time. absolutely. And also people are worried about their jobs. They want to get it right, you know? Mm. And so if you, if you go that close to catastrophe, of course, sometimes you totter over the edge in the best possible way, you know? <laughs> And, uh, and, and of course, you, you want to get it right. You know, so it's, it's a normal professional kind of reaction to it. But, uh, but, but taking risks is what stops us from having routine. And routine is the enemy of music. Mm. Profound sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. It's true. Can we talk a little bit about the conducting thing mm-hmm. again? Because in a way, it's the path less travelled. And um, having sat in the Chamber Orchestra of Europe for so long as a principal player, and then to make the transition to conducting, um, where did the where did the desire come from? Like, what made you like ambitious to do? My that? enormous ego. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think I do think that uh, you you you're kidding yourself. Of course, it's for the music, but you're kidding yourself if you don't think it's because to, to sort of develop yourself in some way as well. And and. Uh, I mean, it just was what I did. But I, I, looking back, I was a kind of leader. I had a leadership role in the orchestra. I was first oboe, concertmaster, first oboe are pretty crucial roles in any orchestra. Uh, that I mean, the oboe one is a bit more tacit. The concertmaster one's obvious, but I don't know. Would you? I think you know the oboe is such a focal point of the orchestra, and you need a kind of leadership. 100%. 100%. And then I was involved in the in the running of the orchestra. Uh, and and I was a bit of a figurehead, so there was obviously that part of my personality that was kind of like drawn to mm. leadership roles without sort of analysing it Getting too much. Getting stuff done. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, I just found the whole thing completely fascinating, you know. I mean, and sometimes we'd have a really famous conductor who'd come in and it was pretty average or it didn't work. The chemistry mm. didn't work. Mm. And that was fascinating too. Mm. Like, why didn't that work? You know, you sort of try and analyse why. I suppose I also felt that, although it never got any easier, but I wanted to explore more than just the oboe line in a, in a, in, in, and of course you're listening to everybody as well, but to actually try and put the whole thing together. And that, from that point of view, it was absolutely, so I remember the first time, you know, it was Mendelssohn's Scottish Symphony, just the months I studied and then suddenly trying to put this together. It was like, you know, well, it was a, it was a hell of a drug. You know, it was a real drug. Was it harder than you imagined it? Yeah, would yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It, 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 absolutely. In fact, you learn by doing it. And uh, I've never had any formal lessons. I mean, maybe I should have had, but I, you know, I've had very good lessons from watching these people. Um, I, but you do learn the most from doing it. And uh, I think I learned very quickly a few sort of golden rules. Um, I mean, I'm still learning, but I learned a few golden rules. I remember the first rehearsal with Cambridge University of Mendelssohn's Scottish Symphony. I'd been preparing it for so long in an analytical way and a sort of like what, what my vision was, but also thinking very much about how I was going to actually physically do it. And I do remember this very strongly, great learning lesson, uh, conducting through the exposition 
and we got to the double bar and I sort of stopped and I sort of thought to myself, actually, that went all right. And then I realised I hadn't listened to anything. I'd been so busy doing my thing that I hadn't listened. And in fact, there's rule number one, just listen, listen, and don't have an agenda, you know, have, have, have your vision, but maybe they're doing something already. Just listen, listen, what do you need to do and be yourself I think that's the other thing. Be yourself, listen. And there are many, many, many ways of doing it. I mean, having worked with Harnankur on one side and Abado on the other side, um, they could not get two more extremely different musicians, and yet they both produce extraordinary results physically, how they talk or don't talk, um, the way they make music. In many ways, totally different, but both incredible. Mm. And now I meet people from all over the world who used to play in COE or you know, uh, still do. And we have this common bond. We've had this common experience. And even though you might have se haven't seen people for several years, it's like you've seen them the day before yesterday because you've just had so many years of the same experience. Same wine, same drinking, that kind of thing as well. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap it up. But the, uh, the one last question we both really wanted to ask you was, what, what, what's your favourite karaoke song? <laughs> you've been reading too many <laughs> Guardian articles. Yeah, we did not have it. <laughs> <laughs> End. Yeah. <laughs> Dougie, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Dougie. it's a pleasure. Thanks. So that was Douglas Boyd, oboist and conductor. In fact, he's no longer plays. He doesn't play the oboe anymore. He put it. No, away. that's he, right. He said that. Away. That's right. So that was the conductor, uh, Douglas Boyd. Uh, if you don't know much about him, uh, I really encourage you to, to check out his recordings for the Chamber Orchestra of Europe and, and um, everything he's done since. Uh, he's, He's a really special musician. And, yeah, very inspiring. Yeah. Anyway, Kenny, what is coming up at NM this week? Coming up, coming up at NM, not this week, but sort of in the near future. On the 4th of November, we've got the final of the NM Concerto competition, uh, where three of our rather esteemed players uh, will be competing for a grand prize of unknown amount of money. <laughs> Some money and some prestige. Uh, but anyway, that's with the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra and conductor Johannes Fritsch. Who used to be the QSO conductor-in-chief. Oh, really? Yeah, from only a couple of years ago. Oh, wonderful. Um, and that's Alexander Araiswell playing Bodicini, uh double bass concerto, Caleb Wong playing Elgar cello concerto, and Harry Bennett's playing Brahms violin concerto. Coming all the way back from Berlin where he's been studying. Yes. Um, and that's at 7.30 in Federation Concert Hall on the 4th of November. Following that is our last orchestral project of the year, which is with conductor Elliot Rivas. Um, and if you head along to the Melbourne Recital Centre at 11am on the 10th of November, you'll see us and Elliot and Anam alumnus flute player David Shaw. He will be playing the Mozart P piano concerto? What? No. He probably could. He does play the piano quite well. Does he? Yeah, he does. He's really good. Okay, but in this instance, he play he's playing the flute concerto. I hope, um, alongside a performance that we'll do of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. And then uh, the day after that, which is the 11th of November at Adam in the evening, we'll have almost the same concert, but instead of that concerto, we'll have Kinestera Piano Concerto with soloist Tim Young, who is our Adam faculty piano tutor. It's going to be quite riveting I think all four clarinetists will it'll, be... It'll also be quite riversing. <laughs> anyway, also, also, 
Also on that program is uh, The Firebird uh, by Stravinsky. And Not the whole thing, though. Just the suite. No, the, the Firebird suite. Because there's, there's no ballet. We have no ballet dancers here at Annam. Oh, Kellen Reed, one of our administrators. She's a ballet dancer, but she will not be. Was she a belly dancer? Ballet. Ballet? She's a ballet dancer. Well, she, she trained in ballet. But she won't be doing the Firebird with us when we do it on the 11th of November. That's just going to be the orchestra. So that'll be the Firebird suite. Um, <laughs> so that program... <laughs> so that program... Hinestera, Stravinsky, and um, Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky, 5th Symphony. We hope to see you there. And that, I believe, is what's coming up at Anam. So this brings us to the, um, the end, uh, the closure, the completion, the closing, the outcome. The denouement. The resolution, in fact, of this uh, episode 6 of the Upper Bow Download. Hope you've enjoyed it, listeners. Uh, my name has been Luke Carvin. My name has been. My name is Luke Carvin. Well, is it? It is. Uh, My name is also Kenny Keppel. This has been a podcast and we'll see you next time. See you. Bye. Bye.